All right. Welcome back to our show, Four White Guys Talk About Technology. I'm here with uh, Packy McCormick, who is a special guest to the compound. You guys know Ben. You know Michael. You love their blogs. You listen to Animal Spirits. Um, hopefully, you turn off Animal Spirits before their movie takes. And, and if you don't, you know, you, you've been through worse. My name is Downtown Josh Brown. We're here to talk about the Coinbase IPO, which the reason we're doing this stream is that I think it's this is like one of those big milestone IPOs that everybody remembers. And I think it's like a very important company. Doesn't mean I think it's a great investment from the price that it's trading at, but I feel like every investor needs to understand what the company's doing. So I just want to start there. Packy, you're the guest. Like, do you feel that this is a really important moment for the investment markets for Wall Street, or am I overstating it? No, I don't think you're you're overstating it at all. I mean, I think the fact that if you had told anybody 10 years ago that there would be a company that essentially is an exchange for digital coins that went public and, tr- and closed the first day at an $85 billion valuation, I mean, it's a, it's a huge day. I mean, I think it legitimizes the, the crypto space. Um, and I think it's going to be, you know, it was fairly successful today. I think there's going to be a wave of crypto companies coming public. There's SPACs just dying, I think, to take crypto publicly, crypto companies public. And I think this will be kind of that, that watershed moment that everything turned on. Have any SPACs done a crypto deal yet? I actually don't know the answer to that. Nothing that I can think of, but I can't either. You look at like Top Shot is pretty ripe or, you know, or like it's Dapp, Dapper Labs, but. Today, yeah. this, this was the first IPO that I had multiple people texting me about for the first time since I honestly can't remember. Like uh, Snowflake. No. No. No, that was not, that was not in, the, in the public consciousness at all. Uh, I can't, honestly, I can't remember. This is a big one. Maybe Airbnb, but probably not even that. Everyone's comparing them to the finance companies, but for comparison, General Motors is an $84 billion company. <laughs> yeah, How long is that company? That company's been around for a long time. And 100 years. The fact that, yeah, the fact that it happens so fast. And, and think about how much of the growth has come in the last 12 months, too. Three months. It's, it, yeah, this is wild. I think right, this the is Q, a the pivotal Q, moment. The Q1 numbers that we got from Q4 are just ridiculous. Well, we know, so we know, we know two very big things about Wall Street today. I don't even know why I say Wall Street. Wall Street almost doesn't even matter. We know two things about investors today. The first is that it's flow over stock. So like how fast is the business growing is way more important than how big the business is traditionally, right? And it, and if we if we're saying that it's 30 and 40 something investors, GM has always been irrelevant to them their whole lives. So that's like the first thing. But then the second thing is Wait, hang on, Josh, can, Josh, can you stay with that? Yeah. Duncan, Duncan, pull up chart three. Okay. Coinbase versus the incumbents to talk about their growth rate. So they're doing, they did 250% year over year. This is from John Street Capital, by the way. These numbers are astronomical. And one of the truly miraculous things about Coinbase is that they're the unicorn that's growing and they're super freaking profitable. Yeah. That's the thing. So that, right. It's, it's very rare that it, one of these mega IPOs is both fast growing and profitable. How much money was Snowflake burning? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm guessing billions of dollars. I really don't know. But just the fact that they're growing this quickly and they're generating this much, this much in profits, which is probably one of the actual bear cases, is that because they're so profitable, they're, they are like, uh, there's going to be sharks in the water circling them very soon. Right. Like, okay. Pecky, what do you, what do you think is the, like the, the biggest, uh, like, do they have a moat besides brand? I mean, I think brand is a really, really big moat here. Scale. But I think scale is a big moat. Brand is a big moat. 
But I mean, you know, they're making the vast majority of the revenue and profits off of retail investors who are paying three to 4%. I think it's blended down to kind of 1.2 to 1.5%. Plus there's a little bit of hidden spread in there that they're, that they're taking as well. And so as there's more competition that compresses, I think the question is, are they able to add on other kind of more defensible services and, and get there faster than all of the traditional kind of financial institutions and neobanks can come in into their space faster than the other crypto companies can build something at a lower rate, faster than people can figure out how to use kind of the more crypto kind of protocols that are much, much lower, lower take, but obviously feel less safe to people. So that's the question, but I don't think there's real moats beyond brand for- So I want to, I want to go to this then. The, the first question I threw in the doc, like what should the comps be? Forget what they will be. Is it a brokerage? Like are we talking about it versus Schwab? Is it an exchange like a CME? Is it an asset manager like BlackRock or is it a fintech stock? Like should we be thinking about Square? And I know a lot of you know, investors these days would say, why choose? It's all of those things. But Josh, you know what's so great? That it's the same thing with, with Bitcoin. Is it digital gold? Is it a store value? Is it a currency? Like We've coin- answered that. It's digital gold. But I'm, but okay, but same question for Coinbase. And I think it's even more, it's even more all of these things than, than Bitcoin is. In either of those cases that I just laid out, though, there is nothing in those, those uh, sectors that's currently valued the way. And I understand nobody else has growth like this either. But there is nothing, even Square, let's say, out of all those names I just rattled off, there's nothing that's valued like this. It's, it's a unicorn among unicorns. Hey, Packy, let me throw this to you. One of the, th- like, if, if you said this about a company in the past five years, anybody could do what they do. Competition is coming. Like, that has almost been, like, a, a bullish thing. Like, you're, I think we're, we're not giving these companies enough credit. Anybody could do what they do. Oh, really? You think every company is asleep at the wheel and has no idea what they're doing? There's obviously something that they're doing right. So it almost seems like the bearish case is like a little bit too easy right now. I think the bearish case is certainly too easy right now um, because you know it's very clear that there's just this big amount of fees that other people already are undercutting them on. Other people are also building easy crypto on ramps. They're getting, I mean, part of the reason that you do an IPO is how many people do you think have signed up for Coinbase in the last week? I think those numbers will probably come out soon. And they're adding a bunch of people. They're onboarding more and more people to crypto. And a lot of people are not professional traders. A lot of people are buying 0.1 Bitcoin right now and holding onto it and saying that they bought 0.1 Bitcoin and are having fun with it. So maybe they don't care about the fees. And that brand really does matter in a space where- I think it's sticky. I Like, I think if you have a Coinbase account, and you don't, first of all, you don't even know what they're charging you. It's not like FINRA where you have to, like the broker has to break out. This is how much this buy just cost you. Also, if you're buying $100 worth of Bitcoin a week, what do you care? 1%, 5%, half a percent. So I think people that open a Coinbase account pack at your point, I think they, the brand does matter. And I think there's the same inertia that you have anywhere else. People just, they get used to it and they're not looking to switch for a reason they can't even think about. So I moved some Bitcoin out of there a few months ago. It's really easy to move off. So where did you put it? I went from Coinbase to BlockFi. I did that exact same move today, actually. And it was, 
It was very easy to do, and it it didn't well, take that much. Hold on, hold on, Packy. How are you getting on block? You're not you're not doing the interest bearing account right at BlockFi because you're a New York resident. Michael's so jealous because he can't. I'm do a New it. Jersey resident right now, <laughs> uh, so I'm doing the interest bearing account. I'm actually writing about BlockFi, uh, BlockFi tomorrow, and and as part of it, I was looking into it. I was like, wow, this is actually legit. I can earn six percent of my Bitcoin in Bitcoin, and yes. so that just compounds. I was surprised at how easy it was to move stuff off of there to BlockFi. So that's what I'm saying. If if there is a competitor that comes in and people know how to do that, it's not that hard to move. It's not like moving, like can moving Coinbase st- copy that feature. Well, no, you can move into Coinbase too. But I'm no, just but saying. But Josh it, is saying why is why wouldn't Coinbase do what BlockFi is doing? I don't know why they don't. To tell By you the way, truth. maybe this is maybe this is the nice segue. Like Coinbase today, ninety six percent of their revenue is from transactions. So what if they? What if the right analogy is they're the Schwab and they're going to just completely balloon their offerings and truly become like the digital bank? Which is what BlockFi is trying to do as well. So the the question is kind of what's the right angle of attack here? I think from very, very early on, BlockFi has gotten behind the scenes, really into the weeds on, you know, lending out the right stablecoin or the right Bitcoin to the right institution to to fulfill basis trades and, and like kind of make all this complicated stuff happen. So they did the hard part first, then they've added no fee trading, and now they're trying to add credit cards and a bunch of things. They're all going to try to get the feature parity. It's who can get there fastest yeah. and what's the right kind of vector of attack to, to get in and, and wedge in So there. that's like the crypto side of things. Like Josh, you know the traditional side of finance, I think better than most people I know. Who do you think is a threat from traditional finance? Like I think like Fidelity, Fidelity. already has a custody. Why aren't they hopping into this thing with both? They don't, maybe they, they, don't, they don't hop, but they've been playing with crypto related stuff since the beginning, uh, way before 2017 when most people in traditional finance discovered it. Um, Abby is like determined not to let this thing get away from Fidelity the way ETFs did. Right, they were mining it, right? She had like a mining rig set up in her office or something, according to lore. But she she was probably among the traditional asset management slash brokerage CEOs, the most vocally like, yeah, we're into this. Um, so what and they're providing custody so services already. No, they're doing it. They're doing it. Like they're providing custody services to institutional funds that are crypto funds. They're just like not. They're, they're just not doing it at the retail level. They just filed for an ETF. Like that's the route they want to go. And maybe that's smart. It's hard to replicate what Coinbase has done. What if they went the ETF route while very quietly building in crypto capability to existing brokerage accounts? So what maybe they, that's 100 the million threat. accounts. But is, is the ETF a threat for Coinbase or is the ETF just all new money and that old money at Coinbase, it doesn't really matter? I, I mean, I think it's a threat, but I could, I could be wrong. Packy, what do you think? It's a threat to. I mean, I think it's a threat actually to the yields that you're able to get uh, in your in your BlockFi account, for example, because institutions aren't going out to the CME and buying futures. They're just going to buy the ETF. The the grayscale uh, Bitcoin trust trade. I don't know if you followed this, but it was trading at like you know twenty percent premium to NAV on average because retail wanted to buy buy into the trust uh, ETFs kill that, the anticipation of ETFs, Tesla buying, uh, MicroStrategy buying, all these guys has, has brought that down actually to trade below NAV right now. So I think it compresses a lot of things when there's just a traditional way to access exposure to Bitcoin. I don't know though, and I think institutions were bending over backwards and doing all these crazy things to get exposure because they didn't want to buy on something like something like Coinbase. So I don't think it's a huge, huge risk to Coinbase. I was listening to um, Armstrong on Tyler Cowen's podcast, and he that was like the toughest interview he probably ever had to do. 
because Cowan just like from an econ- from an economist standpoint just like lit him up one after another with really tough questions. Uh, so, but what came out of that was Brian Armstrong was talking about how like he has sixty or seventy lawyers on staff and spends a lot of his day managing lawyers. Um, But I felt like that was part of what they did really right. Rather than wait for calls from regulators, they actually put on suits and ties and went to Washington and sat with everyone they needed to sit with, uh, from thrift supervision to banking regulators, the SEC. And they, in many ways, were educators of the regulators in the early days. And I think that's why they're the first to market with a gigantic IPO. I think the fact that they haven't been hacked too, and the fact that their security has been so well, that's like a bullish case for them. Like, I don't you, I mean, if Coinbase got hacked, isn't that like a down 20% day for Bitcoin? Maybe even more like that. The fact that they have such good security, I think maybe that's part of it too, is that some of the financial firms don't want to take on that risk of if, if we jump in and we get hacked, then uh, no one's ever going to come to us again. Bitcoin lost like 80% of its value after Mt. Gox. And admittedly, it was a much smaller situation. There was like almost nobody involved. But I do agree that's probably a risk that's out. That's like a risk for all Bitcoin. And by the uh, way, on top people. of all of these risks that we're outlining, to me, the biggest, the biggest risk, first and foremost, to Coinbase is Bitcoin. If Bitcoin falls 75%, what's going to happen to this thing? Duncan, can you throw up this chart of Coinbase's quarterly revenues? So you had like a massive rush into Coinbase. I mean, this is this is... <laughs> this is ludicrous. But these people are one-time new customers, right? And one of the reasons why they're new customers is because Bitcoin has done so well. So for me personally, given the size, given that whatever it's it's bigger than, I forget the numbers are with the, with the NYSE and CME and SIBO, um, you're paying a lot for this. And there's a lot of risk, like a lot of risk. Why would you want to own a, a derivative of, of, if you're bullish on crypto, to me, just buy crypto. Here are the numbers. New York Stock Exchange current market value is $67 billion. NASDAQ, $26 billion. And this is so, 85 So this is bigger than both combined-ish, uh, at least at one point during the day. But I don't think they call themselves an exchange. I think they think of themselves as a, a broker slash banker, I guess. I don't know. What, what, what is a bull case? Like how, Packy, do you think this could be a half a trillion dollar company one day? I, I don't think so. I'm not particularly bullish at these levels. I think it's a really important company. I think it's shown the way, but it reminds me a lot of Zoom almost where they both kind of just blew the rule of 40 out of the water. And the rule of 40 is your growth plus your, plus your cash flow margins. They blew it out of the water. I think theirs is is 900%. Zoom's was very, very similar, but they're both kind of of a moment. Uh, and I think that, that that's the way that I see Coinbase going. Best product in the market, easiest to use, all of that. But it really IPO'd, I think, at exactly the right time. I don't see how it gets to half a trillion. So they didn't, they didn't really benefit from the, the massive opening valuation from the standpoint of like coming out at the right time. And Zoom didn't either. Zoom, Zoom was public for more than a year before the pandemic started. Um, and then in this case, this is a direct listing. So it's not like they were like dumping shares on the market and raising all this money. They did their capital raises way, way earlier than today. So I don't know. But to Michael's point about following Bitcoin, it'll be interesting to see what that correlation is. If Bitcoin doubled from here, does Coinbase double? And if it gets cut in half, does it get cut in half? It's going to be pretty close, I think. If it's a true broker, then they should get some benefit from volatility. Because if they're taking fees on every buy and sell, granted, 
the more Bitcoin goes up, the more adoption, the more new accounts. So that's obviously the bull case for Coinbase. But theoretically, they should make a lot of money in a panic too. But the stock market probably won't see it that way. The stock market might just sell off uh, Coinbase. But maybe that's the first opportunity to buy this if you really want it. I also wonder, does does volume in Bitcoin resemble volume in the stock market where – on big on on big drawdowns, volume spikes. Does that happen in Bitcoin too, or not necessarily because there's so many holders? I got to imagine it's got to be pretty similar. That you, I mean, think about the the panic selling. Every was panic was panic selling everything last March when Bitcoin got cut in half, fifty percent a day or whatever. The, people treat this like stocks. So what's the difference? Like it, it's it's traded that's, interchangeably, that, that, but that's but that's not true because two percent of all accounts hold ninety five percent of Bitcoin outstanding, and those people are never selling. So it's always the marginal marginal seller. So I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's the same with the stock market. There's a lot of diamond hands. I want to get into this E Trade analogy, and I know a lot of people watching weren't around for this, but in 1996, I was cold calling for a brokerage firm in New York, and the hot stock that everyone was pitching was open an account with us, and we'll get you into the E Trade IPO. And E-Trade was sizzling in 96. They were getting $20 flat fee for a trade. They had the whole market to themselves. All of the other discount brokers were using their software to provide online trading because nobody had their shit together yet. Arguably, Coinbase is way advanced versus where E-Trade was upon coming public. E-Trade had about 73,000 accounts. How many accounts is Coinbase, Packy? It was in the, what, 50 million range? Yeah. I mean, it was so, so far advanced. So uh, anyway, the point is, by 1999, you had like 100 different firms that were competing with E-Trade, and they spent their entire life as a publicly traded company battling in a, in a fee war that they mostly lost. And then eventually, trades were free, and then Morgan Stanley just bought whatever was left. I'm not saying that's what will happen with Coinbase. I just don't think in an $86 billion valuation – a lot of people are taking that potential outcome seriously. I don't know. What do you guys think? How about this for like the people who have made so much money, like the, the people who started Coinbase? How many of them are going to say, I am loaded now. I'm going to go start my own smaller Coinbase. Like Ooh. if we saw defections, like isn't that a risk that people have made a ton of money in a very short amount of time and say, I'm going to go start my dream crypto project somewhere else and take Coinbase, Coinbase's secrets the, or whatever the it other, is. The other aspect of a direct listing is they can do that. They're, if you do a traditional IPO, you have a lockup period. The way this company came public, like Spotify and, and a few others, Slack, any, anyone with shares can sell. Like that's also, the, all that's those the VCs could be selling today then. I would be surprised. Who else is doing all the selling? I know I already said this, but I just think that, again, the, the bear case is so obvious. And it does feel like it feels like a trap. Like, you know, that meme, it feels just a little bit too easy. And maybe we're not giving them enough benefit of the doubt that, they, that they're building something truly special. Well, I think the market has already given them the benefit of the doubt, right? The fact that they grew so much in their valuation, I mean, that, that's part of the way of mentioning it, just how impressive it is that this company did this and succeeded when- But the market's not, but it's not giving them the benefit of the doubt as if like they're, oh, maybe they're going to deliver and let's just see how it works out. We just got some results and they blew the doors off. Like they are crushing it. So maybe the market was actually behind the eight ball on this one. And if this, if these numbers didn't come out, maybe it would have came out at a, I don't know, $40 billion valuation or something like that. Packy, what do you think? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I meant by the the timing on this is that those those numbers were just absolutely incredible, and it's hard to value this versus you know another company that you're looking at and saying, oh cool, one point one billion dollars in quarterly profit because 
next quarter, if the transaction volumes are down, like none of that revenue is necessarily sticky. The accounts might be sticky, but them making money on that, you know, three to 4.3 to 4% or, you know, the 1.1% average that could go away to the extent that you know, it's not volatile. People aren't buying. You know, why that point is so important to torture my uh, brokerage firm analog even further. When Wall Street companies report earnings like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan, they all have trading desks, fixed income and, and, and commodities and currencies, they have equity trading desks. They don't get a lot of credit for big beats on the trading desk precisely for what you're talking about. Wall Street analysts view outsized profitable quarters in trading as ephemeral. It's not repeatable. It's not like wealth management where, where you could set your watch to what's coming in. So they don't get multiple expansion when they're having like a good run of trading because nobody believes it could last. So I think that's a really important point. One thing that we haven't even spoken about yet, Duncan, could you throw up one of these, uh, bl the blue bar charts, assets on platform and crypto market capitalization? This is crazy. We haven't even spoken about the institutional adoption yet, which it seems like every single day there's something bigger and bigger happening in the space and it's only just begun. But is that a net benefit for Coinbase? I think so, because they're the primary beneficiary of this, right? Because if you're, I think, te didn't Tesla get long uh, Bitcoin through Coinbase? I'm almost positive they did. Tesla did, MicroStrategy. Dan Loeb tweeted the other day that he used Coinbase. So if they're so the broker of choice for institutional trading, that's not even in these numbers yet. Do we think they are, though? Because uh, Bank of New York, Mellon, Pershing, like they're settling trades in Bitcoin. I, so do, I, think, I do think Coinbase is the winner. But, but didn't we see names. that the institutions are paying like five basis points? And even though they're moving bigger money, they're not making as much money on them because True. institutions aren't going to be charged like retail investors. How long can they say we're here for the people and decentralization and blah, 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 revolutionize this and that and have a two-tiered commission schedule for hedge funds and for everyone else? So there it is. 1.4% for retail, five basis points for, for – uh uh, institutional. By the way, we, we Ben and I spoke earlier on the podcast that Robinhood is now like a major, major retail player in crypto. I don't remember how many accounts they opened with crypto, but massive, 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 massive. Like 9 million. That's what I think, honestly, when Robinhood IPOs, that could be a sneaky crypto play because their crypto platform is growing enormously. So that's where, that's where I have my crypto, but it's, we're stuck there. I can't get it off. That's the tough part about Robinhood is that you're, is that you're stuck. On I want to leave. Why can't you get it off? They won't let you. They don't you. allow it. <laughs> what are you talking Robin about? Robinhood and you PayPal, can't. you can't move your crypto. You can the more I hear it. about this company, the more hilariously uh, ironic their name is. I, I can't they wait said for that they're idea. working on allowing you to do it, but as of right now, you <laughs> cannot. Easy to get it in though, right? Now That's you can't leave. Yes. yes. The interesting thing too about the Tesla buys and the MicroStrategy buys and and the big corporate buys is that the corporates are buying this and having it sit on the balance sheet. So it's not even like normal trading volume. Like Tesla is doing their billion dollar buy once and paying five bips on it. Like it's just not, I don't think going to be super meaningful revenue because they're not going to be very active with it. True. Every business though on the street, there's a volume discount. So I'm not like offended by it. I, I understand it. Um, I'm just curious when those things converge. And of course they've converged to zero for equities and soon to be fixed income. So um, I want to get into the corporate structure a little bit, Packy, and you can help me out with this. A lot of the excitement around cryptocurrency generally, and a lot of the fan base for Bitcoin is about decentralization. And so now we have the largest living, breathing avatar for the crypto space, the Goldman Sachs of crypto. And the CEO, Brian Armstrong, has 22% of the voting power. And the executives and directors collectively have more than half of all the voting power. So this sounds like decentralization is great. 
as long as it's not decentralization for us. The biggest company is a middleman. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious to me. I think that irony is lost on people. I don't know. What do, what do you think about the way they've set up the company? Is it smart that they're doing this way? I, you know, what's been surprising to me is how much love there's been from the, the hardcore crypto community for a day like today uh, and how much I think love generally there is for CeFi as opposed to DeFi or centralized finance as opposed to decentralized finance. I think a lot of people are just really happy that Robinhood or that, that sorry, Coinbase raised a lot of money, built the brand, built the structure, was friendly with regulators and brought crypto to the mainstream way faster than it would have been without a Coinbase. And so I think there's there's love for it there. That said, there are plenty of open protocols that are counterpositioning against something like a Coinbase and saying like, look, look, we're actually decentralized. You know, there's a big a big movement called, uh, you know, if you don't if you don't own your keys, then then you don't own your coins. And Coinbase is a poster child for no keys, no coins. Uh, and so I think people will build against it, but for the most part, it, f- it feels like the the broader crypto community has been all these kids are like, see, Dad, I told you, I told you, I'm not wasting my life. But right? I just wonder if the there's next, a lot of validation today. The next I level of adoption, you. though, like the people who own their keys, that that level of adoption is already there. Like those people who figured it out early and got the technology right and have their cold storage or whatever. Like I never could have figured that out personally, no way. And so the next level of adoption from, you know, individuals who are towing in the water or advisors is going to be people who don't want that stuff or need that stuff. And that's where Coinbase is probably going to, again, get those people where they don't, they don't mind if you're not like a crypto libertarian or whatever. That guy that had $50 million in Coinbase and had one more chance to put his password in, isn't that like the best commercial for Coinbase of all time? (laughs) Like they should, they should refund him the the 50 million or whatever the, (laughs) the amount is. You couldn't get a better ad for something like this. That's, you don't have to around with keys. It's not like a complex thing. Do we think that civilians are going to read about or watch news about the Coinbase IPO and adopt Coinbase in terms of like using it? Or is this not the type of IPO that does that? Because I feel like the Peloton IPO did do that. I think this is more about should I buy the stock, at least anecdotally. I got four text messages and not one of them was should I buy Bitcoin. It, all of them were should I buy the, should I buy the stock. How long will it take, Ben, before we can show a correlation chart that's meaningful? BTC versus COIN. That's good. Six I months. Need, I need a yeah. week. Months. I need a week. Three to six months. <laughs> Michael, Michael uses intraday prices, so he can use 24 hours, maybe. <laughs> hey, hey Lessing, Packy, was there a number where you would have said, this, this is pretty attractive? Was that, was that 25 billion? Like, or, or were you just, or was it so far gone? It was so far gone that I frankly didn't even analyze it from a buying perspective. The trade that I think would be very interesting is buying a basket of crypto and shorting Coinbase. Hold on. I think that would be. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, so say like, all right, I'm bullish on the space, but I'm not bullish on the biggest broker in the space. Right. So you're saying like, you know, if if you're long crypto and you're short Coinbase and everything goes wild, then you're good on, you know, you're hedged and you're good on being long crypto. And maybe it just gets even crazier and spikier. And if things tank and you think that Coinbase is, is highly levered to the price of Bitcoin, then you're good on your short there. And and I don't know, that's that's how I think that I would play it. I'd rather be long, assuming that one of the hundred or thousand competitors is going to come into the space. Uh, one, they just increase the price of the coins themselves by bringing right. more demand. Uh, and then two, somebody takes down Coinbase potentially. Few understand this. So, <laughs> so I want to end with this and I'm going to go around, gun to your head. Coinbase closed at 335.96. 
What's the latest print on uh, on Bitcoin? I got your Bitcoin sixty two three seventy one. We can do the ratio then. That's going to be our our play. Yeah, the new ratio. That'll be that'll be prominently featured in all the macro uh, newsletters. All right. So here's here's the thing: Bitcoin cut in half at thirty one thousand, or Coinbase cut in half at one hundred and sixty. Coinbase. Which which one do you smash the buy button on first? Oh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Def- definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Why? Because if it doesn't recover, then Coinbase won't either. I'm just much more bullish on Bitcoin in the future than I'm on Coinbase. It's not even yeah. close. If I'm making like ten years out here, I would be, I'd be buyer of Bitcoin rather than Coin. Like I think it's possible Coinbase. What if it, I mean it's it's going to be volatile with a price, but when there's crashes or huge bull runs, but what if it's just kind of a boring stock? We all said Bitcoin way too fast. Gun to Packy's head. Did he say Bitcoin? I didn't hear you. I'm buying Bitcoin unless the reason that Bitcoin crashed is that like. China was behind Bitcoin the whole time and holds all the keys and steals everybody's Bitcoin. But oh otherwise, I'm buying Bitcoin. All right. All right. I love it. Hey, I want to thank you guys for uh, jumping in and do this. And uh, I think we, we brought out a lot of interesting points for the viewers. If you guys liked what we were doing, go ahead and smash that like button for us. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, if you haven't already, I don't really know what your story is. It's really easy. Hit that bell. You'll get the alert every time we go live. Special thanks to my guy, Packy McCormick. I want everybody to subscribe to the not boring Substack letter, which lives up to its name. Awesome read. What are you writing, twice a week? Twice a week. And we're writing about BlockFi tomorrow, so more crypto if you're interested. Can't wait. All right, Packy's uh, Substack letter is great. Subscribe to that, and we will see you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Check us out at thecompoundnews.com for daily investing and market insights. You can watch all of our videos at youtube.com slash the compound RWM. Talk to you next week.